On this edition of Kiwi Tripsters, we celebrate the long golden autumn. Yes, we head south to central Otago to explore the vineyards and fruit bowl of Cromwell. And gold rush relics of blazing Bannockburn. Further afield, we breeze through Amsterdam and swan around the Swan Valley. It's all ahead on Kiwi Tripsters. We're back with Kiwi Tripsters Travel Podcast. Get ready and take off to spectacular destinations as we continue our journey and share the inside word on all things travel. Whether it's luxury travel or backpacking on a budget, whether it's cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an amazing travel experience. And now, over to your hosts, Mike Yardley and Andrew Seppi. Welcome aboard for a fresh edition of Kiwi Tripsters. I'm Andrew Seppi. I'm Mike Yardley. Great to be with you. As the golden glow of autumn reigns supreme in central Otago, Andrew. Oh, indeed it does, Michael. Yes, the season of mellow fruitfulness just comes naturally to Cromwell, the great fruit bowl of central Otago. Yep, all of that succulent stone fruit over summer. The best of it's behind us, but it all probably came from Central Otago. Yes, indeed. (laughs) The cherries, the berries, the stone fruit. If you do happen to be in town on a Sunday, don't miss Cromwell's Spectacular Farmer's Market because year-round this is a stunner in that heritage precinct. In fact, Annabelle Langbein. Oh, yes. I've always admired Annabelle. Oh, indeed. Upstanding member of society. Yes. She will tell you. This is one of New Zealand's best farmer's markets. Indeed. Cromwell is one of those places that has the winning blend of offering lots of local attractions, whilst also being a stone's throw, you know, get that, stone's throw, stone fruit, uh, away from so much cool stuff, as in Wanaka and Queenstown. And it's a great base for wine lovers. You would have been right at home. Oh, yes. Spoiled Mm. for choice. Mm -hmm. In fact, Bannockburn, we will talk about in a... A separate segment coming up because Bannockburn in its own right is just so good. But around Cromwell proper, there are some really good wine picks too. Right across the road from that iconic fresh fruit sculpture in Cromwell, uh, there is a vineyard called River Rock Estate. Mm. It's hyper boutique, excellent Pinot Noir. Uh, Wooing Tree Vineyard is a cracker too. I love that name, Wooing Tree Vineyard. It takes its name from a beloved landmark tree where Cromwell locals historically headed to canoodle and pop the question, as you do. Many people have been asked there, Mm. would you marry me? Yes. Would you be my beloved? Yes, for life, Mm. while we sip a wine under a big tree. Mm. The tree is still there, yeah. If you answer no, have a few more wines. (laughs) See how you go. I'll ask again. I absolutely love uh, Cloudy Bay Shed, which is the Cromwell sister of the Marlborough mothership. So they're branched out, and they've got this fantastic hillside setting, deliriously good. It just feels really glam, and the cellar door, like its Blenheim headquarters, is kitted out with Jack's Raw Bar. So you can order up some freshly shucked oysters, and the bluff oyster season is all go at the moment, and have those with your wine tastings. And those freshly shucked oysters may help with the proposal. Yes. Now, post-COVID, the Lake Dunstan cycle trail has become a new hero attraction in central Otago, linking Cromwell with Clyde. Yes, it's a banger of a ride because it doesn't just hug the lakeside, 
but some sections have been cleaved out of the cliff face. It's like a clip-on lane leering over the lake's dazzling turquoise water. And it's been designed to connect with heaps of vineyards, uh, looping around Bannockburn, for example. So it's a very handy way, <clears throat> excuse me, to hopscotch your way around the vines for wine tasting too. And there's lots of rental bikes and e-bikes at your disposal. Yes, e-bikes right up your alley. Uh, now for other motorised fun, Highlands Motorsports Park in Cromwell. Oh yes, get your vroom vroom on. My brother-in-law took a Mustang for a spin on this racetrack last month. Craig, he's yes. got a very cool Mustang. <laughs> yes. Nice red fast back. <laughs> yes. Oh. I think he uh, hired one of the top-of-the-line Mustangs they have at Highlands okay. and took it for a rip around the track. Oh, yeah. So he didn't take his one? No. I couldn't see him doing that because that is such a collectible car. It is. I think he was fearful of um, whether it would last the distance from Christchurch down to Cromwell. <laughs> I'd be more fearful of it getting ruined. Well, there is that. Just quietly? Yes. Irreplaceable. Yes. But you can take a amazing car at Highlands for a ride around the park. That is part of its um, appeal. The other thing is they've got an amazing museum there housing some very cool stuff, like a $4 million Aston Martin Vulcan. Ooh. That is a car. That is. Four million bucks. I know. I'll take four of them. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Michael Shoemaker's Benetton uh, Formula One car is also there. Wow. Yeah. Now, where's a good place to stay in Cromwell? Many, many places to stay, but uh, we recommend Heritage Collection Lake Resort, you know, which is strung along the shoreline of Lake Dunstan at Pisa Moorings. Yes. So you're just a wee way out of town, probably 15 minutes uh, from Cromwell Town Centre, but it is a head-turning boutique property, and you've got that purpose-built marina so it's really popular with boaties hugging the lake's edge over water villas. You feel like you're in Bora Bora <laughs> in your overwater villa. Right. Um, and just amazing landscapes surround you, all of those chiselled hillsides framing Lake Dunstan's revitalising splendour. Lovely. Now, this resort features its own waterway access to the lake with moorings available by the accommodation. If you're floating on in, yeah. very, very James Bond, mm. or maybe very Miami Vice. Yes, very. Mm. If you're sizing up a romantic escape, this is the place for it. A one-bedroom spa villa will float your boat perfectly. So you need to go with your beloved to the Wooing Tree Vineyard, pop the question. A few shucked oysters along the way. Yes, and then retire to Heritage Collection Lake Resort. With your one-bedroom spa, and you can just yes. take your little boat yes. there. It's, it's very nice, actually. Yes, yes. Yeah. really private facilities. Uh, so each villa has its own kitchen and lounge living, opening onto a super spacious overwater deck, laundry, drying facilities, they're all there. Lovely. Just ahead, as promised, we jump our way around Bannockburn on the southern edge of Cromwell. Back in a mo. This is Kiwi Trips, this is Mike and Andrew, and when you've had your fill of Cromwell, which is hard to do, but it can happen, uh, Bannockburn is right next door. They're like little bosom buddies, little peas in a pod. They are. Mm. And there's only the sliver of the Kapurau River separating them. But yeah, to complement your 
romp around Cromwell, definitely go over to Bannockburn, which is all about grapes and gold. The prize draw is its Pinot. Yes. And it's like a sub-region, a wine sub-region Bannockburn, powered by super hot summers and super low rainfall. Which has given rise to some of our most decorated wine labels, like Felton Road, Bannock Bray, Akaroa and Mount Difficulty. Yeah, and a lot of the winery cellar doors and restaurant experiences are like glamour pads. Oh, yes. Uh, there's a lot of Instagram show offery <laughs> in Bannockburn. A lot, show offery, I a like A lot that. of show offery. Oh, very nice. Yes. 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 And it's not just because of the amazing wine, but because of the scenery. The setting is spectacular. Big skies, serrated mountains, backdropping the valley, which is studded with these gold sluicings, <laughs> which we'll talk about shortly. I'm always curious about the word sluicing. I know. Hmm. Yeah, it's a very descriptive word, isn't it? Very odd-sounding word. I do enjoy a good sluicing. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, But then, of course, you've got all of those terraced vineyards, like a sweeping quilt cascading down to the river. And it's the wineries that have such a dreamy perch over proceedings that rule the roost, if you like. A star specimen would be Mount Difficulty. Order up a premium penal uh, tasting tray and a lunch platter. You're on your way. Mm. Yeah. If there was a gold medal to be awarded for best setting, I think a close runner-up to Mount Difficulty would be Carrick. Uh, their setting is really picnicky, So big grassy lawns overlooking the Bannockburn Inlet. I love their platters. The Achaean Muir platter just bursts with seasonal gourmet bites. Things like Manuka smoked sea-run salmon, green-lipped mussels, herb and corn frittatas. Um, but yeah, just a magnificent spot to enjoy a bit of a munch and a sample of the wines. And um, the Lake Dunstan Trail actually runs through their vineyard. So you'll see bikers tootling by as you're having your pinot. Oh, how lovely. And another very nice stop is Bannockburn Hotel. They were issued Central Otago's first ever liquor licence in the 1860s, and they are still going strong. Awesome history, knockout views across the valley, fab food, leafy beer gardens, if you need a break from all that vine, uh, sometimes you just need a good old Kiwi beer. That's it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, vine time has its place, but sometimes you just want a beer. Oh, indeed, indeed. (laughs) Uh, Like much of Central Otago, the vines were planted... Quite a long time ago in Bannockburn, but Bannockburn first found fame during the gold rush. Yes. And this is when the landscape was transformed as the alluvial goldfield was hydraulically blasted by those sluicing operations. Some parts of Bannockburn's upper reaches now resemble a miniature version of the Grand Canyon with vast yellowish stone ridges and rock stacks. Nothing like a rock stack. Permanently stripped of vegetation, towering over the vineyards. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, it's like a a contradictory mix of brutality and beauty to yeah. the landscape. Like it does, you know it's been savaged by something. Yes. But it still has a rustic beautiful appeal about it. Mm. Um, and there are all sorts of really cool walking tracks around those sluicings. Uh, the Bannockburn sluicings track is the most popular. That will take you around the remnants of the goldfield. And in, in places, you feel like you've wandered into a desert. Curiously, there's a lot of thyme that grows in these very parched hillsides. And apparently that was brought over by a lot of the early gold miners. 
they, yeah. they liked their time. Yeah. <laughs> Further up the valley, drive to Hall Road, which will take you to the remains of Stuart Town. It's like a ghost town. All you can see now is pretty much the old damn wall related to the sluicing operations and just a few scratchings of settlement. If you want to get an idea of, I guess, a mini version of this, uh, and if you're anywhere near Christchurch, go to Hall's Wall Quarry because it looks like this. It's just been absolutely stripped out when it was quarried. And now that the plants are starting to take over again, but there's still that bare rock face that has been gouged out. And you can see it's been gouged out. You sort of stand and look at it, and it feels quite powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you're up for more overland adventures from Bannockburn, you can actually drive from the Nevis Valley to Garston, just south of Lake Okatipu. And this takes you along the eastern side of the Remarkables. I can't say I've done it. No. I do want to do it, though. Yes. Uh, it is strictly suited for four-wheel drives only. <laughs> I do remember taking you in the, uh, in the four-wheel drive a couple of times and you were gripping tightly <laughs> to the side of the door. And muttering a few expletives as I rounded some corners through some branches and into some rather deep water. Yes. Do you remember that? Yeah, uh, you've triggered me. (laughs) (laughs) So if you do want to take this uh, ride, you will feel as if you are on top of the world because it is the highest public road in New Zealand. Uh, zipping you as high as 1,173 metres above sea level at Duffer's Saddle. So it is known as the Nevis. That's what the road is called. Duffer's Saddle. Yes, the Nevis. Now, the Nevis was originally the coach road to Invercargill. This is the way they used to go to Invercargill. My God. Yes. It is not for the faint-hearted. And you would not want to break down on... Duffer Saddle, otherwise you'd... Feel like a complete duffer. Yeah, very good. Very good. Uh, uh, Stay with us. We hop to the Tasman shortly to check out WA's Swan Valley. Mate, back in a moment. This is Kiwi Tripsters. You're back with Mike and Andrew. Right, let us head to Western Australia, mate, for a swan. Not the bear, for a swan around Swan Valley. How close is the swan to Perth? Just 30 minutes away, Andrew. Yeah, well, Perth's a long way away from here. <laughs> so if you make it to Perth, you can rest yourself by thinking, I'm only 30 minutes from the Swan Valley. Lovely. It's a very easy transition, too, from metro bars to life, simpler pleasures. Oh. And you can graze yourself like a pig from a huge swirl of food and beverage offerings within the Swan Valley. It's deceptively compact because they've got this designated food and wine trail. It is only 32k in length. So even as a day out from Perth, you can just merely traipse your way through a variety of flavours. It's a prime wine destination because the Swan is Western Australia's oldest winemaking region. The first vines were planted back in 1830, but the industry really hit its straps on the back of the wave of Croatian and Italian migrants last summer. Century. Definitely. Foodies love the swan too, and the valley has become a hotbed for all things free range. They were ahead of the class on this. The SPCA 
named the Swan Valley Australia's first humane food region over a decade ago. That's good. And a lot of people at the time thought, oh, this might be a bit of a marketing gimmick. But Porky Pig and Henny Penny have not been factory farmed anywhere in the Swan for a very, very long time. Porky Pig and Henny Penny. Yes. Mm. Now, I know you like your big muscular red wines. What's your favourite winery in the Swan? Well, that's a very tough question, Andrew, oh, because... Yeah, and you've tried them all, I'm sure, several yeah. times. Well, yes. yes. Mm. There's over 40 wine producers open for tastings. That'd I think big... I have been through most of them. <laughs> It'd be a big trip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that warm soil in Western Australia produces some very good Shiraz. My favourite would be Mandoon Estate. Oh. Mandoon. Mandoon. It's one of the big boys with a majestically designed complex of tasting rooms. Not just one tasting room, but you've got a variety. So you just taste, taste, taste your way around. (laughs) And when you need to have a bit of outdoors time, they've got these fantastic gum trees on the banks of the Swan Valley. You just park yourself under a gum tree, grab a big beefy Shiraz, and off you go. Off you go. Now, Michael and I love our coffee, and there's a roastery in the Swan with a fantastic backstory. Yahava Coffee Works. Yes. It's interesting how anything boutique, whether it be craft beer Mm. or your little roastery down the road, whenever they are looking at like creating their pitch to the market, the marketeers will say, you've got to have a really good story. You've got to have a sell, an angle. Yes. Yes, you've got to bring it to life with your own personal journey, your own tale, you know? And I think that's all about... Try hard. Yes. But the thing about Yahava is they have got the coolest story of all. So it was founded by a guy called Alex Cock, and he followed his dream of tripping through the world's great coffee regions on his motorbike. Cool. To try and stake out just where are the best coffee beans to be found. And he staked out what he thought were the best and began shipping them back home 20 right. years ago. Yeah. So the in-store experience walks you through the coffee production process, the roasting and the grinding of the beans, the brewing styles and the blends, but you actually feel like you are having this trip around the world as well with all of these incredible beans from all sorts of crazy places. I came away from Yahava feeling like a connoisseur. (laughs) I'm sure you did. Now, the Swan Valley's sweetest spot of all, Horsler's Chocolate Company, family-owned and operated for 50 years. Yes. So you can stuff yourself silly with their free in-store tastings. You tend to gravitate (laughs) toward places that have free in-store tastings. You can't beat it, really, (laughs) eh? It's such a winner. Um, So stock up on their top sellers, their chocolate pretzels, uh, their chocolate-coated caramel popcorn. Hello. And that is as good as it sounds. Oh, yes. Another taste bud tickler is a stop at Moorish Nuts, which is like Whistler, is a husband and wife affair. Yes. You can't go past Moorish Nuts. Not at all. Archie and Marie, they initially sold their coated nuts to students at the local universities. Oh, well, that's a good way to get get your word of mouth happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And word spread. The love affair morphed, and now they are a household name across WA. Their hot and spicy caramel-coated peanuts, their cashews and macadamias, are worth a trip alone to the Swan Valley. Nothing 
Andrew, in life, beats a bag of hot and spicy nuts. It doesn't. Interestingly, though, the whole nut thing has become, in our lifetime, eat a bag of peanuts, salted. True. You can get the roasted, mm. dry roasted, yep. whatever. And that was about it. Yeah. Suddenly, I remember little stalls appearing round town where you could get a scoop of hot nuts. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And it just exploded. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe Amsterdam could beat that, So, uh, which is a great coincidence because that's where we're going to next. <laughs> Back in a mo. Back with Keepley Tripsters, Mike and Andrew, finally on this edition. Let us take a swing through Amsterdam. For first timers, the museum trail could exhaust you rather fast because they have almost an embarrassment of museums. There are some essentials, though. You've got to be really picky as to what you want to do because it is a case of so many museums, so little time. The big boy is Rijks Museum, which mm. is stuffed with 800 years of Dutch masterpieces. That's been given a major facelift in recent years. But the real heart stealer, in my view, is the Van Gogh Museum, because it's not overwhelming. You don't think, oh my God, this is a bewildering place. How the hell am I going to trawl through all of these uh, areas of a museum in a day? It is a really intimate, really personal, quite emotional museum, and you feel like you're walking through the artist's life of works. His complete story, the artist, his personal ambitions, his wild mood swings, the myths about his enduring influence, almond blossom, sunflowers, and the bedroom are three unmissable post-impressionist masterpieces. Indeed. And beyond the obvious attractions, I do like a dose of the obscure and the offbeat. Oh, surprise me. Story of your life. <laughs> Amsterdam delivers obscure and offbeat in spades. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, the Eye Film Museum. Ooh. I do like this. It hovers above the waterfront like an origami apparition. <laughs> <laughs> Well described. <laughs> uh, the real draw within the iFilm Museum is its collection of the world's very first black and white pictures. Cool. Now, meanwhile, uh, how about discovering 500 years of history of bags and purses? There you go. 500 years of history of bags and purses in a gorgeous old canal house from the 17th century. The Museum of Bags and Purses awaits you. You'd never get Michael's sister out of there. No. In fact, if Lisa opened her wardrobe to the public, she could start her <laughs> own museum of bags and purses. Oh, that's so true. Yes. Uh, for something less trafficked but utterly authentic, I went to the Museum Van Loon, ah. which is housed in one of these 350-year-old canal houses on Kaisergrat. Mm-hmm. Um, and really interesting history. For over 400 years, the Van Loon family have been connected with Amsterdam, Wilhelm van Loon, he co-founded the Dutch East India Company. Fast forward to today, and the family is still living there, occupying the upper floors of this canal house. They are one of the few families who still boast an original horse carriage, complete with liveries and harness. I mean, hmm. Yeah, pretentious. Yeah. But like the old Christchurch, what school did you go to? Uh, first four ships. Now, we've got to talk about the Amsterdam Tulip Museum, which ingeniously takes you through the history, craze, and universal love affair with tulips. 
not sure I'm part of that universal love affair with tulips. Yes, they're you okay. are. Come on. They're okay. But anyway, Central Asia is the original home of wild tulips. But it was the sultans of Ottoman Turkey who collected, nurtured, and displayed large quantities of tulips. Yes. Fascinating. So when you go to Istanbul, Top Cuppy Palace, uh, you can see the infatuation the Ottomans had with these flowers. That is clear to see. The very word tulip oh. is derived from the Turkish word for turban, tulbent. Oh, how lovely. Yes. And it's believed that trade and diplomatic links between the Ottomans and Western Europe brought the tulip bulbs to the Netherlands towards the end of the 16th century. Now, the tulips first flowered in Holland in 1594. The bulbs thrived in the harsh climate of the lowlands. Immediately, they became the feverish object of affection among the upper classes. And very fitting. Whereby no merchant's home would be complete without a collection of tulips. In the mid-17th century, tulips were so popular that they created the first economic bubble known as tulip mania. Believe it or not, a single tulip bulb became more expensive than the sale price of a canal house in mm-hmm. Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mania. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the dizzying heights were not to last. The market crashed, and after the price collapse, tulip production switched from being the pursuit of the rich city dwellers to the farmers. And today, the tulip remains Holland's most famous export. It generates about 10 billion euro in earnings a year. Massive. Yeah. Go the tulips. Mm. Can't see it myself. (laughs) You'll get there. Anne Frank House. It would have to be the most powerful, heart-wrenching city experience in Amsterdam. Yes. The museum is built within the confines of one of these canal houses where Anne's father operated his business and the family went into hiding, living on the upper floors of the annex. It is really poignant to walk through the movable bookcase, which concealed the door to the annex and was especially made for that purpose. Now, you'll see all of the family's rooms, including Anne's, where the walls were decorated and pasted uh, with pictures of film stars and a young English princess, Elizabeth. Plus, her diary takes pride of place toward the end of the exhibition. Yes. 70 years on, the entrance queues from early morning billow long into the day. So you really do want to beat the vast lines of humanity by buying an online ticket in advance. They have about a million visitors a year to Anne Frank House. Right. Shopping and foodie tips. You must try a Stroop waffle. Stroop waffle. A thin, round waffle cookie made from two layers of sweet baked dough held together by caramel filling. Uh, Sounds good, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Head to Stroop Waffle Bakery Landscroon. These guys are considered by a lot of locals in Amsterdam as the kings of the Stroop Waffle. They have um, been in business for over 100 years. For more great tastes, go to the Food Hallen. As the name would suggest, it's a food hall <laughs> and a renovated historical tram depot. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, yeah, really nice, edgy sort of vibe to it and a staggering variety of bites and drinks. And chocoholics, yes, you would have been waiting for this. Amsterdam, don't miss the most decorated handmade chocolate steeped in traditional methods at Pukini Bomboni. And definitely uh, stake out De Tarte Van Mintante. It's a mouthful of a name, but Mm. it's one of the most colourfully kitsch cafes I've encountered. And it actually translates as my aunt's 
cake. My aunt's cake. <laughs> thinking, <laughs> thinking about other toothaching temptations, um, I'd have to say, after going to Detart Van Muntante, it felt like I'd been to the Mad Hatter's Tea Party. Hey, Yeah, yeah. It's just very fantastical, the way that they have sort of presented this cafe. It does feel very fairy taleish. Well, you can't go past the fantastical emporium of cake. This is true. Right, that is it for now. Be sure to like our Facebook page and our show notes are available, as always, on the website kiwitripsters.co.nz. For great travel reading, check out our sister site, fortheloveoftravel.nz. That is fortheloveoftravel.nz. And we would, as always, love you to rate and review uh, Kiwi Tripsters on any of the selection of podcast services. Whichever one you choose, go and rate it on that one. Or you could always rate it on all of them. You could, actually. Yes, rate away. Right. We do rate rating. Great rate. Now, with your feedback... <laughs> now, with your feedback, you can make it as sweet as a Stroop waffle or as spicy as a Swan Valley Shiraz. Or as warm as a spicy bag of nuts. Yes. Indeed. We look forward to catching you for our next edition of Kiwi Tripsters in a week's time. Take care now. Ta-ra. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. Safe travels.